0: Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at BrickLane Brewing. We are grateful for BrickLane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 Triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also, the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe, and then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are, but thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word.
1: I had to go write it out oh. and find it- for the final time in 2021. It's the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon on a gorgeous day. Day five of the Melbourne Test Match. Mm. We should be doing it daily. I should be asking you to give a 30 second summary, but um, that's not going to be the case. It feels actually a long time since we finished uh, in Melbourne. A lot's happened uh, with the England team with more COVID cases, with the Australian team enjoying uh, the hospitality of David Warner down at Mm -hmm. his brewery on the Mornington Peninsula yesterday. All the conversations that have moved along to the, the Sydney Test Match, be it both logistically and the teams that might turn out there, but uh, it's not going to uh, deny us the chance to reflect upon 2021 uh, the way we always do on this podcast.
2: I, uh, I could give you a 30-second summary. I uh, woke up late this morning, I had two slices of leftover pizza, just dream. <laughs> I, uh, I went outside to hop in the car to come and meet you and then it wasn't there and for a second I thought there was a problem and then I realised that I'd left it after day three of the test, Dusty Martin style, and <laughs> just forgotten about it completely. <laughs> Really? Where did you uh, Where did you leave it? Uh, in, near the MCG. As in,
1: so you, you didn't realise yesterday that you had uh, no vehicle. After,
2: after knocking off work, I I went out and forgot that I had driven to the ground. <laughs> um. And then didn't notice for two
1: days. <laughs> <laughs> so, did Dusty ever get a ticket for leaving his car at the MCG? No, for... it was in
2: the underground car park. Oh, I was in the underground car park, so he left her there for about eight months. We, don't, we
1: don't get let into the underground no, car no, park no. at the G, needless to say.
2: No, but um, but somehow got away with that one despite public on street parking. The uh, the uh, the ticket dogs are having it quite a couple of days. Well, you
1: didn't get you didn't get a ticket yourself.
2: No. Got away with it
1: for two days with for your car days? sitting in East Melbourne in a one hour spot. <laughs> yeah. <Bloody hell. laughs> That's a that's a once in a lifetime achievement. What did they think was going on? I don't know. Anyway, City of Melbourne, pick up your game. I, by don't. contrast, I've <laughs> been um, you know doing as one does when they've got their uh, infant with them. Well, she's not really an infant; is she a toddler with them? I catching think she's up an with, infant. Ca- I think if they're small enough to pick up in one arm, they're an infant. Well, she's going to be an infant for a long time mm. then. On that measure, you know, catching up with people. I actually, fell asleep on the sofa yesterday with a few friends of the final word. I was a little bit hungover after mm. the, the night that preceded it and chucked on Labor in Power, as you do, on YouTube and nodded off watching the first episode of that and woke up. I'm like, ah, oh, I feel a lot better now. But today, you know, playgrounds and catch-ups and coffees mm-hmm. and brunches and the aquarium and, and those types of wholesome activities. So. And, and Winnie walking around the house wearing your media pass around
2: yes. her neck and, and pointing at it going, it's daddy. And I'm like, it is daddy.
1: How about her accent, well, by the way? It's getting more so English, English despite the fact that she's been here for so two months. So
2: British. Like, I mean, it sounds like the Queen
1: you know. <laughs> no, no <laughs> yeah. She loved the aquarium I've never seen a, a child that enthusiastic about anything Just running up, yeah. slamming her face up against the water Or against the, the glass in front of mm-hmm. the stingrays Like yeah, modern day Steve Irwin really Just <laughs> really throwing herself <laughs> into it Get involved yeah. Right, so, uh, what are we doing today? Today we are going to be talking about the English cricket crisis I didn't really want to do this because no. we did it two weeks ago, but mm. it would be but that was totally. Pre, it's now yeah, a slightly different. Crisis. Well, it'll be it'll be totally disingenuous not to do it. I suppose is is the point here. Uh, we've spoken to Rory Dullard uh, yep. from the artist formerly known as Press Association, now called PA Media. <laughs> um, he's the the main cricket correspondent for them. He's one of ten touring British journalists here at the moment. An excellent journal at that, who spent a lot of time thinking about the structural issues of English cricket, and also we went through the environmental issues of this particular tour, but. Mm. Yeah, I thought after we spoke to Ali Martin a fortnight ago, I was hoping we could kind of put that behind us. But it it wouldn't be right for us to ignore that this is the only conversation right now is that how can England be so uncompetitive in this series?
2: We're also going to do our best and worst of 2021 as we have classically done for quite a few years on New Year's Eve. And may I say, you know... It's been a rough time, but when the when the big ball comes down in, in Times Square when it's December 31 and we're counting down the last few seconds, it will be a momentous occasion to be celebrating our fourth calendar year of COVID-19 <laughs> as we go into 2022. We're going to be wearing masks until <laughs> about 2029,
1: the way things are going, I think. Anyway, we'll try and put as much of the COVID stuff behind us in the second segment of the show. Uh, can I say as well, congratulations. Congratulations
2: to Australia on on winning the Ashes. I know we don't, you know, we. I think we don't barrack so much that sometimes we just ignore it when they do well, uh, or we don't. We don't necessarily give them their due. But yeah, sure, England have been awful, but it is a very significant achievement for them. It's it's an Ashes win for the coach. Langer, it's a, an Ashes win first up for Cummins. Coming into the job in very unpromising circumstances, a couple of weeks before the first test, everything they've done has worked. Every player they've picked it's come off, uh, and they've they've just had a charmed run.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Share the sentiment uh, with you there. That uh, if, well, when Tim Payne hit the fence, which was the day that I was leaving the UK, it was the same week as the Azim Rafiq parliamentary hearing, mm. and I kind of remember sort of doing some interviews that day and thinking that both teams, they're not in disarray. Australia have just won the T20 World Cup, but losing your captain that close to a test series, a high-profile one at that, and England having to field any number of questions about structural racism in the game over there, Mm. this could be a real mess for both teams. But it has been for England, but Australia managed to put it behind them, and Pat Cummins is a a major part of that. I mean, yeah, to think that we were sort of... To think that not we necessarily, but we more broadly, we're, we're questioning whether it would be appropriate for a fast bowler to do the job. He looks us home with the... The armband on as anyone I've seen doing it. And mm. sure, he, he's only had, a, I suppose, a couple of bad sessions in three test matches. By bad sessions, I mean sessions where they haven't won. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they've done this in 11 days and, and 80 minutes, when you consider modern over rates... Ten,
2: really? Ten and two sessions, if you want to be strict. Is it, it ten and two sessions? Well, because they they won in Brisbane a bit after lunch. On oh, the right, yeah. And well, they... I was
1: going to make a similar point. If you, if you totted up all the overs mm. or, uh, that have been played, when you consider the number that have been you know, uh, lost to b- bad he's, over. I rates. think he bowled fifty-six overs or something, maybe sixty right. in the whole yeah. series. Well, I just wonder whether we go yeah. back to two thousand and two and three. We often talk about Australia winning the Ashes in mm. ten days on that occasion being the record. Maybe it's it's even closer mm. than that than we think because of the um, the more overs that would have been bowled then compared yeah. to now. Probably. So quite
2: an achievement, probably. a... St- the previous Australia batted for longer, you know, because they had a bunch of run picks well, yes. in the team and then they were striking up totals. So maybe the overs were, were, bit, were bigger in the end. But, yeah, the, to be able to put aside that dislocation is important. You know, I still think there's more pretty yuck stuff around that. Australian story as well that hasn't come out and and may or may not I don't know not really stuff I have control over but it's just my vibe I just I just have a feeling that there are there are more details um that do not reflect well on people more broadly than just the guy who lost his job
1: yeah well look maybe I suppose we'll see in the fullness of time on that but Yeah, the way they were able to regroup and and galvanise around Cummins and all their selections, especially with the quicks, there's that point of difference to last year when they were really quite determined to keep the same attack throughout the series. And Mm. here they've been so happy to change it that we're even now talking about a change in configuration for Sydney by playing a second spinner. Dan Bredig's big on this and he's spot on. There is no perfect scenario to play a second spinner in Australia at the moment. There is no longer the Sydney pitch of old, or even the Adelaide pitch, mm. you could argue, of old, where you might do it because it could be to your advantage in that particular test match. Just if you're by,
2: gonna... Just by the bulk of overs, you've got to get through.
1: Yeah. If, you, if you're going to play a second spinner, you've just got to play a second spinner somewhere and do it for reasons of investment in what will be coming up in 2022 when Australia play nine test matches in Asia. Mitch Swepson's clearly the second spinner. And yeah, it looks promising as far as him being given an opportunity because Jordan George Bailey um, spoke about it as recently as today. So Australia are having those conversations. England have got now seven positive COVID tests Mm. and we didn't, talk to Rory about this, but the very idea that once it enters the playing group, they don't have the England Lions with them. Yeah, they've got 15 BBL players here right now, but that might create some relatively funky selections in in Sydney Mm. and Hobart if it gets that far. If it turns out that the England team do have more COVID floating around than than they hope, even though they've had three rounds of negative test matches. Test matches. They have had three rounds of negative, three rounds of negative, three rounds of negative PCR tests. If, if test four or test five or test six oh. or whatever it is starts blowing up the way that it has when other teams have had little outbreaks in the mm-hmm. last year and a half, then yes, yeah, so it could get uh, it could get quite strange quite quickly. Can Australia lend them players?
2: We've got say, was McQuarrie hasn't got a gig in in the first well, league. Can, can you can yeah. pop him over? And well, he who's got open? access
1: to a UK passport? Hmm. How quickly through the Home Office could they be... that the other problem is qualification, isn't it? Maybe they would ignore the three-year qualification period and let yeah. anyone with a UK passport get a start. Uh-huh. So it would be the reverse Section 54 of the Constitution okay. where you would say, now, you, you know, yep. who, who, who have we got who, who can yeah. access a British passport? Who, who, who that, has a grandfather... With yeah, because it was never a case of being disqualified because you had a British passport No, it went through those by-elections in 2018 or 2019. Because you had the right to get the one. The right to get one. So who's got the right to a British passport? Mm. That's the question we need answered at the moment. Uh, and maybe, you know, someone like Sam Robson, who's probably out here playing club cricket right now, mm-hmm. probably should have been part of the thinking for this series if they were considering players who've got experience in Australia and can succeed here. But anyway, uh, it could be a group of players like that who end up filling the team if COVID runs right. But let's hope that that isn't the case yes well
2: i suppose that story could develop pretty quickly as could everything uh, there's almost no point actually talking about the news cycle at the moment because it will inevitably be out of date 24 hours later when our show goes up we're we're not going to do a nerd pledge number today uh, because it's new year's and i forgot to do it and i can't be bothered <laughs> <laughs> so i feel that between december 30th and 31st particularly is cricket writers who have to work over this whole period we should have the right to not do anything if possible on the 30th and and failing that at least on the 31st so in that in that spectrum uh, well, i mean i don't want to do a half ass job with someone's number so we'll no. do we'll do another one we'll add another one into the story time coming up and we'll give away two slabs of brick lane in that story time instead of one
1: and that's going to be recorded on the 2nd of January. You're probably listening to this. Well, you might have um, downloaded this on the 31st, which will be, it'll become obvious that we've not done um, the, the live recording of this show as we thought we might. That's just because, I mean, I don't think it'd be prudent if the two of us sat in a pub right now with everybody mm. p- for you know for reasons that we wouldn't want to end up accidentally getting COVID and giving it to our entire commentary teams. That wouldn't yeah. be good for business. For reasons of not wanting to
2: miss out on two test matches yes. worth of work and also ruin it for everyone else. Yeah.
1: For me, it's the more ruining it for everyone else as yeah. much as anything. I just I feel that I feel that immense guilt. But we will keep making story time. Uh, we'll record Annette before I leave Melbourne and before you leave Melbourne, which will be a few days from now. That'll be a, a relatively big edition of story time. And then we'll get back into it. A vaguely familiar rhythm. Once we're through the Hobart Test Match, mm. and once I'm back in the UK, and and we can return to making two programs a week rather than gosh six or seven or eight. May
2: I say that if it is still December 31st when you're listening to this, you can still get 15 percent off Brick Lane until ah. the end of December. So you could just bang the little code, which is Marsh 182 into the website at bricklanebrewing.com and get 15% off all the delicious beers. Do it now before the clock ticks
1: midnight. I've been drinking lots of Brick Lane. Sound like a piss No, I've been sampling a lot of Brick Lane yep. in recent days. One, because we did our day two recording mm-hmm. of the Daily Show. We, we made a version of it at the Turf Bar, mm-hmm. um, uh, thanks to Brick Lane, which was lovely. We had a few of the different uh, beers that night. And uh, our dear friend and often uh, the man who makes our live shows happen, uh, O Pickering, was part of the Marsh 182 deal. And he also, mm-hmm. no, sorry, he wasn't part of that. He was part of the bit when you signed up and got given a four pack, mm-hmm. which was earlier in December. Mm-hmm. So he brought four Brick Lane's around for Christmas, oh, which was lovely. So um, I've had a, a chance now to yeah. finally take it in. And i tell you what, it's great stuff. So yes. don't miss out. Bricklanebrewing.com, Marsh 182, 15% off. And there will be a new offer code coming in January. Will there? Okay. There is. I've been told. Uh, On that note, let's leave it there for the introduction of the show, which has probably been uh, longer than a normal segment would be. Uh, We'll take a beat. In a moment with us, it'll be Rory Dollard from PA Media.
2: Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and
0: Jeff Lemon.
1: It's The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. And with us today uh, for our uh, the first segment of the show, we're having the England conversation again, only a fortnight after we had it with Ali Martin. We are forced to do it once more because the situation has changed somewhat. And who better to have with us for it than Rory Dollard from PA Media. Uh, he's here with the small, truncated England press pack, a veteran of travelling with England. And we're so thrilled to have you with us on The Final Word for the first time. Rory.
3: Thank you, guys. I wish it was in happier circumstances, but that ship sailed uh, a long time ago, I'm afraid. Yeah, it, it certainly <laughs> certainly back filled.
2: in the era when they used to actually have to sail the ship.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were too, you know. I mean,
1: this is a question I'm getting asked all the time at the moment: is there uh, is there a sense of glee at seeing England do poorly, or is it pity? And for me, it's definitely the latter. It, it's lament that England have have uh, played so poorly. And what I thought would be useful today is for us to talk about the very valid and very reasonable points to the 2021. 2022 tour that are making this a shit show uh, in isolation and then... Literally. Second, uh, literally, yes. <laughs> and in the second half of it, the structural issues which mean that England are battling in this part of the world routinely. To start with the first bit, and Jeff and I touched on this in, in the Daily Show the other day, but uh, can you just try and explain just how brutal a year this has been for England cricket as far as the, the bubbles that have been required, the COVID situation, the constant travelling, the switching between formats, the, the glut of injuries, which meant that them actually being able to perform at their peak on this particular tour that was so limited to begin with.
3: Sure. So, I mean, if you trace it back to the start of the year, we have a long, arduous subcontinental winter in hard bubbles. You have players going down, Moeen Ali and Chris Walks, in the middle of a tour getting shoveled off into different hotel rooms, isolated from the team, in the middle of Sri Lanka. We win some games. Believe it or not, probably can't remember, but we won some games in England. <laughs> they won twice, didn't they? We won three times, twice. which I believe? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, China, China. China, yeah. Yeah. I mean so two, two times Then, then it gets it. real yeah. tough, and, and India work out one game too late that we're not too good at spin. Mm. So <laughs> they, they, they produce a couple of horror shows for so, us. And
2: someone slipped the dossier under the wrong Yeah, hotel the dossier. <laughs> he said one word,
3: and he said spin, and then Aksar Patel became uh, the new Marvel superhero. You know, and, he, and his superpower is that he just turns the ball away from the bat a little yeah. bit. <laughs> and then we have this summer where we find out that England are going to be resting players against New Zealand, mind, who are the world test champions now. And we're resting our players because they've been at the IPL and maybe they need a little time away. And this was something that, that we did over the course of the last 12 or 18 months for good reasons. The England cricket board, the ECB and Wales Cricket Board, made some holistic, nice governance decisions to look after their individuals but it sent the team into a bit of a circus. There was a conveyor belt of players in and out and some guys were going to be on the tour, off the tour in the side, out the side and I I wonder if they even at any point knew if they were leaving a first choice player out or if they were just rotating the rotating the chairs. It, it was it was really weird. And we've ended up at the end of this tour from you know bubbles, isolation, a COVID outbreak in the summer when we had to find a one-day team out of nowhere, just pick a county select 11. They happened to beat Pakistan. That was fun. But we lost Ben Stokes to a mental health and physical health break. We launched a new competition, a new format that set sort of a culture war off in the middle of this horror run of results. And then we found, you know, then we had ourselves a punching match about racism and, and we confronted a whole load of horrible things. So, yeah, we've lost a bunch of test matches, nine now in the year, but it's been a hell of a lot more than that. Mm.
2: If I look at the on-field stuff over the course of this year, a, a lot of it seems to come back to the guy who's now in 10 Days Isolation, Chris Silverwood, who's a very nice man, but... The way that things have been set up, the weirdness with spin, the way, you know, Don Bess and Jack Leach played in Sri Lanka, then immediately were being chopped in and out of the team in the early stages in India. So Moen Ali could come in for one test match and then get sent home for a rest so that he could come back to sit on the bench for five T20s. And then coming into that, you know, as you say, the kind of second 11 that gets picked for the tests against New Zealand as though they were just going to knock over New Zealand in two test matches, which were hastily added to the schedule. Picking four seam bowlers in Ahmedabad? I mean, I don't think... I don't think I will ever get over that, picking four seamers across the entire English summer without playing a spinner and then coming to Australia and playing the spinner in Brisbane. And in the middle of all this, Chris Silverwood is handed the job as the sole England selector. They sack Ed Smith pretty much out of nowhere, who'd done some... Pretty good work, I thought, over the previous few years. He'd, he'd, he'd had some, you know, maybe maybe some failures, but a few successes as well. Uh, and was very quickly sort of, as best I could tell, because some players were pissed off that they weren't getting picked when they thought they should be picked. Some of the the, the more senior players, you can uh, interpret that as you would like. Yeah. And you can interpret
3: arc- it broadly. <laughs>
2: yeah, you could. And, and arced up about it. <laughs> and so he got the arse. And they give the entire responsibility to Silverwood, who has since then picked some of the worst 11s. Now, if he'd picked different teams, it doesn't necessarily mean England would have won those test matches. You know, they, they probably would have lost anyway, but they would have had at least some... Opportunity of maybe doing better than they have. It seems bizarre that so much has been put into his hands, and about six months later, apparently he's now going to get sacked because it's all his fault. <laughs> how, how is it all his fault when he was given that job?
3: To sure, with? it's strange, isn't it? So th- it is unusual, and and he he came into the job with a robust plan for the Ashes, yeah. give or take. That was the that was the selling uh, point that really got him over the line. It hasn't really panned out that way, has it? But this idea—it was a surprise. You know, these things often get trailed quite heavily, and we we nudge towards a changing of the guard. The the idea that he was going to be a supremo—that's what we used to call it when um, when mm. Railingworth got the job. He was the all-powerful supremo. supremo. Mm. Well, now he was renowned. Railingworth obviously just just passed away, so you know respect to him. But he was renowned as a, a forthright, big opinion leader might not like it might ruffle a few feathers might do a few things wrong along the way but he was you know he had a plan whether it was always the right one I don't think anyone thinks that was Chris Silverwood they they concentrated a huge amount of power in the hands of a guy who hasn't the decisions he's made have been you could say they've been bold in one way because picking four seamers in Ahmedabad is certainly brave Uh, picking Jack Leach At the Gabba, having left him out for an entire summer, could be a brave decision. Hmm.
2: But they don't. But that's like saying hopping out of a plane without putting the parachute on. Yeah, it's it's an
3: adrenaline rush, right? But they don't seem to have come from a position of strength or clarity. They they seem to have come from the the need to to get an eleven on the park, and, and ideally not the same one that just got beat.
1: And then there's, I suppose, that runs straight into the the third environmental factor, which is that uh, England didn't have any meaningful preparation here before the the first test match. Uh, And, you know, I've been banging on about this for months now really, but they should never have um, gone to Queensland for two weeks quarantine after New South Wales and Victoria and and ACT subsequently got rid of quarantine. They should have been permitted to have come into one of those three states or territories and played as much cricket as they could in the build-up to the first test. Instead, 14 days, I mean, I know they did train periodically through that stretch of time but effectively locked up then a game that was rained out a game that was half rained out into the gabba and then botching the selection as they did so spectacularly and I, you know again we can relitigate the toss argument and the way they picked that 11 but fundamentally the idea that they have rocked up for that first test on an absolute hiding to nothing when it comes to their immediate preparation for the series which was avoidable mm.
3: so this is interesting so when silverwood got the job and he, he did a, uh, an opening press conference at Lord. One of the things he said was, "I want to bring back meaningful warm-ups. I don't want to have these 13, 14 players. Yep. Two, two of you will bat this week, and then you can go field and th- you know, like that became a bit of a, a bit of a, a shit show, really, with England on tour. We played horror teams in the West Indies, and totally. like we were lending the St. Kitts We were, lending, kids, we were same the same kids players." Yeah out-of-form batsmen <laughs> so Jimmy Anderson could bowl them out and they could have even worse confidence. This is, this has all happened. It's real life. Um, but <laughs> he said we were going to bring back first-class fixtures and and it's going to be yep. a proper test and we're going to be battle-hard. And he said all these great words. Now, because of COVID, we haven't had a, a proper match since in warm-up. We went to Sri Lanka and it was a knockabout. And then, then we hit upon the genius idea of in intra-squad matches which was a case of make do and mend I suppose they were using what they had and they quite fancied that as a model the first time they did it they thought we've got something here because they felt potentially they've come on tour to Australia in the past and they've been served up a pretty ropey Prime Minister's Eleven to play mm-hmm. and they maybe felt or they go to India and indeed play four seamers against them which <laughs> has also happened yep so they, they felt maybe they could, the, they could manage.
2: The two-day match in, in Ellis Springs. You yeah. may remember that one in 2013.
3: Exactly. So they, they thought, actually, it, it wasn't a decision they made. It was one they were backed into. But they thought, we might be able to get stronger cricket by bringing our own opposition. Hmm. Now, they never got on the park, basically. They just were rolling. They were doing throwdowns against each other, frankly, after in the, in the break between rain. So they rocked up for that match in no fit shape. No fit shape to play. So there's, there's
1: the the short term I just wanted to deal with that first I didn't want to kind of jump straight into the structural stuff because it'd be disingenuous to say that that hasn't contributed to the England team being thrashed in 11 11 days and and, you know a session not even Mm -hmm. uh, at Melbourne it's it's sort of more than that I think but there is this extra layer here now it's 06, 07, 13, 14 17, 18 now, 10, 11 is absolutely the aberration and why do we end up in that place where England come here and it looks like it's, they're, they're never a chance of winning now remembering of course that that wouldn't be it wouldn't be the first time that a country has had a hoodoo of sorts going somewhere else, India with Australia for example, Australia taking um, from 1969 until 2004 to win there but it wasn't uncompetitive and,
2: and, and the other way around until a couple of the years other ago way around, India exactly. couldn't win in Australia.
1: But, but it was wasn't uncompetitive and it feels like we've reached a point where this England team is, is that regrettably. Now, structurally, uh, I don't think if you're listening in Australia, you, you might um, might have some sense of this, but not completely. And I think it'd be great for you to elaborate on this idea that cricket not being a mainstream sport anymore, visibility issues that, that are multifaceted and participation rates struggling as a consequence.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that I notice, I'd say I've been, well, I did my first England tour 11 years ago, Bangladesh. I don't think I've been to a country, and I think I've been to most of them. I'm not, I have done Pakistan, but hopefully. I haven't been to a country that values cricket less than England, culturally, societally, on the side of a bus kind of thing. You know, like, yeah. I walk around this town, cricketers are, are on the posters, they're yep. they're in the shops, they're, the, the papers, are, they, they proper have a big presence. They feel like stars over here, right? Pat Cummins is a big star. Absolutely. You go to India, can't move for it. You know, they're selling Coca-Cola and Pepsi and they're, they're the face of these brands. You go to Sri Lanka, same. There's, You know, they have their players. They, they, they might go pretty hard at them, but that's because they are the top of the tree. They are out there for shooting at. I mean, England players can go out on the street and, and just get on with their day because what they are is they are pretty well-paid participants of an increasingly niche... Interest. Don't get me wrong. There'll be people, well, presumably the people who listen to this, bloody love cricket. And the people of us, those of us who love it, they love it hard and it's in the blood and you can't get out of it. And not only do we know who Joe Root is, we know who Billy Root is. And we know know who his dad is. And we know know who he got out played for Sheffield Collegiate. So there is love. There's love for cricket, but it's not widespread. It's concentrated into certain areas Mm. and it doesn't touch the demographic of our country in any way that it should.
2: So, I, I mean, is this... Do you see this as something that has been a progression? Has, has cricket always been this niche? We look at it historically, and it does seem to have had a broader appeal in in England, but maybe that's just our perspective for, as people who already like the game. Was, was it always this irrelevant? Has it changed?
3: Well, it, 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 you changed? know, without, without sort of rehearsing the old tropes... When it's on free-to-air TV, mm. you're in a different ballpark. So 2005 Ashes was the last one, was the, Was the last one that was was on easily accessible, free mm. platform. And it was fantastic. You know, it was a really fantastic series. We all know that. But my mum would come home from work and ask, how did Flintoff go today? Yeah. And she, ever since I was picking up a cricket bat as a kid, she couldn't give a damn about cricket. <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't mm. care about cricket. But it bleeds into the culture when it's, out there, and it's on TV, and you know that that debate has all—it's been well rehearsed. You can go and pick and choose yep. your side on that one, however you fancy. But no doubt, that progressively, if you hide it behind another platform, another wall, you know, call it a paywall, it—it's it harder. I think we're, I think we're reaping I think we're reaping that. I think yeah. that Adam talked about participation. I think there's a certain type of kid who wants to play cricket now, mm-hmm. and it's a smaller group than it used to be. And I, I think you thin that group out even further when you talk about resources of who can then, once they want to play cricket, because mm. there was a bunch in 2019, kids were playing cricket after the World Cup. Mm. I, I went to a holiday park immediately after the weekend mm. after the World Cup final, I went to a holiday park in Wales and the big communal green area that they always play football on was playing at 30, 30, 40 kids playing cricket. Right. Now I wonder how many of those kids are still playing cricket. Yep. Because I bet it's... Could be none.
2: Because, of because the kids
3: who go to holiday park in yeah. Wales are the kids I'm talking about. who, are, If they're not getting forced out, they're getting managed out of the game because it's not available to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I remember in the lead-up to the 2019 World Cup, I spent some time uh, with the organising committee, which was based at the ECB upstairs, and it was all geared around collecting data, for for the right reasons, by the way, collecting data of people who are going to these games in order to convert them into long-term fans of the game. I mean, they understood the legacy bit in England, especially, was a huge deal. And, yeah, maybe COVID got in the way of that. I know, of course, it was about making sure they could activate them in the 100 as well. And this is where I I, I sort of find some of the arguments around what's happening to the England test team a little bit difficult to, to square. So we... In Australia, experienced not anything like what's happened in England, but there was a sense of the participation rate dropping about. 11 or 12 years ago, and Daniel has written extensively about how the BBL filled that void and did a, did a marvellous job. The teams were owned by the state associations, controlled by Cricket Australia. It was on free to air television every single night, and that played a big role in cricket returning to where it historically was as the number one played sport in the, in the nation. This is what the 100 is effectively trying to do turbocharge participation in parts of the country where cricket's not touching at the moment in a number of different ways. So it will have, presumably, the long term benefit of getting more people engage with cricket and it's like a gateway drug isn't it? Eventually they find their way to being interested in, in red ball cricket and it might be the next generation of, of test players and, and wouldn't that be a, a wonderful thing? However the, you mentioned the culture war earlier there is a significant uh, number of people who would you would call part of the cricket establishment in England who will never accept 100 in any form. They've made their mind up. I know they're a minority but they're a vocal minority. Uh, I know they're usually of the older demographic and they're all white and all the rest of it but well, the vast majority of them would be white but nonetheless it is an argument which is yelled loudly by mm. some quarters of the existing cricket fan base. That's going to be difficult to reconcile when the hundred is the yeah. vehicle yeah. to get more people into the game.
3: Well, well, I'm, I'm, I guess to some extent, hopelessly compromised on the hundred because I know all the 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 scepticism and I know all the valid reasons that it was uh, it was brought in badly. The, the, the way it was done wasn't good, and there are still. There will be knock ons and not all of them will be nice or easy to swallow. But I took my son to a game and he absolutely loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I don't know, as a dad, as a, as a cricket writer, I've, I'm full of skepticism. As a dad, I took him to one game of Headingley. Liam Livingston scored 90, absolutely tanned the ball into the next century. And I said, Are you Happy, do you want to go? Do you, like, do you like that? Do you want to go again? And he said, Well, I want to go all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I. I, I I'm really I've compromised because. And do you think that sorry to jump it.
1: in, but do you think that maybe not him? He's the son of a cricket writer, right? but yeah. His pals at school who wouldn't have the same access to the game. We as met him. three of them at the ground. Right, and do you think <laughs> and do you think they would have otherwise found domestic cricket? Would have they been at the blast? I mean, well, I don't it's, know. Maybe not. That's
3: our job. That's the funny thing. I wonder. I wonder if I was um, a sort of a mark for it. I don't know. Like, I I didn't take him. I could have taken him to the blast. I didn't. I took him to the hundred. I felt like. Right. I felt like that was the one that was going to grab him. Mm. And maybe I'm just a sucker. I don't know. But, yeah, on the 100, I think you're right. I think they see it as a good way to grab people. But it's not going to – it doesn't really matter, frankly, if we grab a few fans and bring them into the 100. Because I don't know when like, – so at the moment, it's winter back home in England. I don't know when my son can play cricket next. Because basically the only kids who, who carry on he – he did All-Stars in the summer and he loved yep. it. And now the cricket bat's gone in, in the car. He won't play again for seven months or eight months or nine months until it's back on. And I I don't know if we want to wade into these waters or not. I don't know if I should. That's my New Year's resolution to stop talking about this stuff. So you got got me at the right time. But the only kids you can really develop have access to the the private facilities. I was speaking to a local coach where I live. and, And he said, you see kids at 12 coming in and you see five of them like that on a level, right? The one who is at the private school with the excellent facilities when you come back the next season, he is off the charts better than the rest of the kids who put the bats away for six months because that's what happens. You go play if, if you if you find your way to a cricket club from a certain demographic. Be it I don't know, I don't know which words to choose. I don't know rant, but there are kids who get an interest in cricket and find that it doesn't love them back, you know, and they give up. Like if Raheem Sterling showed a Fantastic, prodigious talent for cricket in the same way he did his football. I don't think he'd be a cricketer right now. I think he'd have given up at sixteen. Mm. And I think, I think, I think English cricket. I, I think we. I don't know if we want to get into this or not. But English cricket is missing out. It's 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 grabbing people maybe when they catch the World Cup or the headingly moments, and it's losing them. It's losing loads of them. Mm. And in the end, the ones who are left who are getting funneled into the the pathways are too similar. They're talking to each other and they're, they're reflecting opinions and techniques. You know, there's there's more kids who've been to a wit gift school who've played test cricket than, than have been in, than Liverpool. Liverpool's never had a test cricketer, you know. So the, there are people who are getting coached by the same people who played for England 20... You know, like it, it's... Mm. There is an element that we're churning out the same kind of people who are having the same kind of conversations with each other and and it's not been challenged. And if you look at some of the most interesting cricketers who maybe break the mould of English cricket, I would throw at you Andrew Flintoff, Graham Swan, uh, Ben Stokes, Mark Wood. And none of them learned in this channel, this pathway, that that they they were outliers. Mm. And it's great that we have them. My worry is that we're not going to have too many more of them. So with the
2: preponderance of English test cricketers who come from private school backgrounds, that's basically what we're talking about. What
3: you, You've cracked my code. Yeah, <laughs> what
2: what is, it? is it? Is it the fact that they have, like, of course, they have access to great facilities. They have, you know, we know some of the kinds of <laughs> nauseating displays of wealth and, and luxury mm. that private schools in Australia have. Here are our 16 new Af- AstroTurf hockey fields and our wellness centre and our two Olympic pools and all the rest of it, while state schools can barely buy stationery. But is it the fact that they have access to cricket pitches and cricket fields and nets and so on? Is it that they're able to do indoor training through the winter and, and keep playing in that way, whereas across most of the country, the whole sport gets mothballed for eight months, as you're talking about? I think when- so, yeah.
3: I think, I think that's all all absolutely true i think there's a little bit of it's a bit of an insider's club cricket it's not you know we're all deep into it and all the people listening to this are deep into it or they wouldn't be here i'm assuming <laughs> it's not for your winning personalities um <laughs> but but it can be a hard place to crack cricket with all the terminology in the kit you can't turn about a cricket club without having like 30 pieces of kit you know like yeah. it, Or if if you don't have it, you don't know if you're allowed to turn up or not. It's, I'm not sure. So yeah, it is facilities basically is the easy thing. And we could go back to all the cricket pitches Mm. being sold off in the 70s and 80s, which is still happening, by the way. We have got some left and they're still selling them off. Like since 2010, when Tory, David Cameron came in, you know, like they've been sold off at the ones that are left at a terrible rate. They're still doing it. They're still doing it. Mm. And I, I look at things like, I look at things like and, and ESP and Crick Info that we all use for our daily jobs. Fantastic resource, lovely uh, website, which we couldn't, I couldn't do my job without actually. But if you click on a player's profile, if you go click on a Ollie Pope's profile today to find out what he averages, it tells you which hand he bats, tells you his age, tells you how many caps he's got, and tells you what school he went to. Why? Mm. Anyone know why?
2: It's usually so that some commentator can drop it in like a handy fact on air. But it's strange, <laughs> so, isn't it? it is. that, that, that's
3: a. You, you want to know whether a guy balls off spin or leg spin? Yeah. You want to know if he's a left hand or a right hand? You want to his know who his history
2: if, teacher was? Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> and I find that baffling. Yeah. And I think it's just it's a tiny little breadcrumb right. that about the, the road that we travel.
1: And, and I suppose, look, it, it's 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 too blunt an instrument to say we need to have more kids. Like to say that there were there were there were more. Uh, international players who represented England who came from government schools a generation or two ago, often the um, 81 heading lead test team, isn't it? Yeah. It's the one they often will say... Oh, I haven't got the number in my head. I think it's nine or ten of the 11 were from government schools compared to the team that was fielded at Melbourne this week. I don't know. There might have been two government school kids and, I'm, and even that might be a stretch. I'm not entirely sure there was a second beyond Mark Wood and maybe Jack Leach, I think, possibly. But nevertheless, the point here is that there is a, an extra part to this that has been discussed extensively in England this year and it's the diversity issue in England cricket and it's the infrequency. It's the fact that cricket at a professional level doesn't reflect what cricket looks like at a club level, that there are, I think I'm right in saying, is it a, a quarter or a third of recreational cricketers in the UK are from South Asian backgrounds? A, which third. Should, a third, isn't it? Which should mean that it should translate in some way through to the professional ranks, and it simply doesn't. Then you look at the Afro-Caribbean uh, issue, which Ebony Rainford-Brent has articulated wonderfully with us on the final word in the past, and again, this is where I sort of see, whether it's 100 or something else, like there are people who have not been touched by cricket and we need to get them back, mm. but also, those who are already in the game, uh, uh, those who come from families who come from South Asia, who could help considerably uh, lift England's fortunes at a, at a national level, but aren't being tapped into sufficiently well enough to get them properly into the pathway. There's a disconnect there too.
3: There, there is. It's it, English cricket. Be. I mean, my, I, I've had a great time, and I'm tremendous. I'm here sitting here in Melbourne with you guys yeah. on an Ashes tour, so I'm doing f- a fine. And I've got those. Cross to bear, although I you know, like to pick a little one up just every once in a while, just to <laughs> see how it feels. Just but, an earring, maybe. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. But the, the, there's times when I've played the game, very modest level, or in, in journalism, following it, where I've felt like I've walked into a party but got the dress code wrong. Mm. And the dress code isn't what I'm wearing, it's just, like, my entire personality. yeah. Because
2: you've got a far northern accent, and you're
3: you, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, people have said that to me. People at the ECB have said to me, "Wow, you you're really northern, aren't you?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, "Yeah." And so is the fastest yeah. ball you've ever had. Right. You know, maybe you know, yeah. open the doors a little wider.
2: And you really, you've you've walked into a room, and they're treating you as a diversity quota. They're like, "Oh, so, look, you know." Yeah,
3: I mean, it, so, uh, sometimes. I mean, I, I, I went to university in Sheffield, and I wasn't. There's two reasons why I didn't play cricket for the University of Sheffield team. One, so. Nowhere good enough, mm-hmm. and that's <laughs> that's all right. Um, and the other one is that I went up on like Freshers Week, and there was I join up for the cricket club. I was like, yeah, of course you'll even if you, you know never make the team, go to nets, you join up, you maybe go and watch the people who are way better than you. But, you know, Who does? But I went, and me and a, a friend who was much better than me, we went along. And the, the first thing before you even signed up for the club is like, do you want to sign up for the Caribbean tour? It's like, I, I can't buy a sandwich. It was like, <laughs> so that's self-selecting. You, you know, so yeah. the whoever ended up playing for that, it wasn't really a, a level playing field of, oh, let's get the best 11 cricketers who've come in this intake yeah. in 2001 or whatever it was. It was like, who's come in on the Caribbean tour can and we'll you, work out a team from there.
2: Can you afford to go to Barclay? Yeah,
3: so, it, it, there is, so there is like, an, you know, with cricket yeah. sometimes there is a, there's a number. There's a number yeah. on the door sometimes. But yeah. and if you don't, if you can't, pull it up, you're not going to be welcomed then.
1: And I've really noticed that, like having spent my life in both countries and my cricketing life too, right? Like I've played cricket in England, played cricket here and all the rest, that it feels like an egalitarian sport here in Australia. It feels like the sport that everybody plays. It doesn't feel like, although I'm sure price barriers exist playing here and I'm sure they were always there and I was naive to it as a kid growing up. It didn't feel like it was prohibitive playing cricket uh, with everybody else at school or at the local club growing up in Melbourne, whereas I think that if I grew up in the UK I might have felt that way. Hard to, again, understand why that might have been, but it does, for whatever reason, when you play club cricket over there or even like rec- um, friendly cricket, jazz cricket, whatever you want to call it, it, it has this extra layer to it which feels like it's an expensive posh sport which can only be a cultural thing. And I just wanted to like, also move this conversation to about the structure of the domestic system at the moment. Now, I know that a lot of people are going to point to the easy thing, which is well, there's 18 counties and there are six Sheffield Shield teams, and if you want to concentrate talent, how can you do it across 18 counties? And I think that that's a conversation that's not an unreasonable one about how do you find a, a level between, how do you bridge that that gap? In turn, the surfaces that are played on for that, you know, hypothetical in betweens here. I, I was watching a. A Roses game this year at Old Trafford, which on a proper Test pitch over a, a long weekend, it was a warm long weekend at the end of May, and it felt like a Test match, as it looked optically like a Test match. That the, the, the cricket was being played um, would have been, would it could have translated through to Test level, but eighty percent of cricket I watched this year in the Championship, it was a different sport, it was a different. I mean, the gap between that and test cricket was as big as the gap between 100 and test cricket, purely down to the surfaces that were being played on, and, and I suppose the, the price signals with selection and the types of players that you want in your team to make sure that your county can win the championship or do as well as they possibly can. I mean, these are the sorts of issues that have been debated at great length in the past when England have done poorly in Australia. Do you genuinely believe this will be this will be the crisis that, that brings upon some sort of change, or or do you think that we're kidding ourselves on that front?
3: I think it needs to be. I mean, there are people who are more more across this than I am who've got the spreadsheets out and they've tried to plot a diagram of how the season will work. Well, th- the easy thing is that there shouldn't be four competitions. If the 100 is going to be a thing, mm. why they're running the two white ball competitions alongside it, it just beggars belief. Like, if anyone looked at English cricket five years ago and said, Good sport, needs another format. Needs another format, yeah. needs another competition. And, and, I'm not, but, and I'm not arguing the toss here about whether a 100-ball cricket and all that and fran- uh, is, franchises, is you know, or, or city work. teams. But I, think I don't it, care about
2: that. It's also extremely relevant, I think, that that whole competition is three weeks. So in in terms of getting people in, it's not spread across the summer like the Big Bash is. It's not a constant reassuring presence there every day. It's crammed into two and a half weeks as a sort of spectacle in Mm -hmm. its own right, which makes it something different entirely again.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, they've done everything with the T20 Cup. You know, that used to be all through the season, on a Friday Mm -hmm. night, a schedule, you know, appointment to view. Yeah. You know, but there's just too much of it. And this is the problem with with cricket almost entirely in England. I'm not saying there's too many counties, but there's too much cricket. The the England players play too much. The counties play too much. We invented a new format, and maybe it's right, and maybe it's wrong. Mm. I don't know. I'm not clever enough to work that one out yet. But it had to come in... They had to bite the bullet and replace one of the competitions they already had. But they got a little bit of bite back, a little bit of feedback, and they decided everyone wins. So we're going to have all the cricket, all Mm. the time. And it doesn't work. It's not working... It's, I mean, these players don't get a chance to be better. They don't get a chance to become better. Like, we're going to the West Indies next, after this tour. And maybe they'll change the squad and, and swing the axe, you know, for headline purposes. But they'll be doing so with a bunch of people who haven't played cricket. Mm. Or they'll be picking a bunch of people who've just failed at cricket. <laughs> so... And this is the thing all summer long. The England players, whether they come back from the IPL straight into a Test match, they don't go. Most of them don't go between that and play county cricket and get a chance to churn out 500 runs or whatever. It, there's too much cricket and not enough of it is meaningful to, to, to these guys at this level.
1: Yeah, and, and it's not as though the championship hasn't served its role in the past, right? Like, I mean, it was the finishing school when there were two, even three international players, and I suppose three-day cricket might have incentivised um, quicker scoring. I, again, I'm, I'm sort of speculating here, but it, it, it's as though other competitions and other systems have, have overtaken it and have Pressed ahead, and the championship by comparison. By the way, I think the championship was fabulous this year. You know, it was, yeah. it was an absolutely cracking season. I actually quite liked the format they used too. I know it wasn't everyone's cup of tea. I thought there were there were there were parts of it that contributed to why it was such a a great season. But it was a great season because it was a uh, well. Uh, One of the reasons it was a great season was that it was volatile and it was all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And I I suppose, do you want it to be volatile and all over the place at Lord's, the home of cricket? I use that as the example because I obviously do the commentary with Middlesex, where if you rock up there, you know there's a decent chance it'll be over in two and a half or three days. Is that a good thing? Like, I, I feel like, you know, and I know that um, Joe Root spoke about this last year and wanting to see more points for the draw, for example, yeah. to incentivise pitches that would last deep into the fourth day. But, yeah, it feels like there is uh, somehow uh, a requirement to have pitches that are less sporting yeah. in yeah. order to give players the chance to bat, especially bat, uh, in conditions that are more conducive of what they get away from England.
3: Well, yeah, you're asking in a series like this, you're asking someone to go make 140, 150, and to do that against Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark, you're going to be batting a long time. You're going to be batting a big time to get that. And they talk about it. All the players talk about it. Big hundreds, big hundreds. And it's really admirable when you see someone like David Milan make 89 or 82 and say that's not enough. But this, like, you covered a ton of county cricket last year. Who's, who's batting long for four sessions to make... To make 150, that's not how you win a game in no, the county Championship, no, is it? You, you, you make you, a chance 70. Well,
1: you take your 20 wickets as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: You know, you, and you, you, you flash hard and it, it, it's a strange, curious proving ground. And, and we, we get ourselves, certainly this year, we've got ourselves in a very familiar knot about spin because we went to... India and Sri Lanka, and we got ourselves in a bit of a tizzy there about spin. <laughs> we then leave a spinner out and we call a spinner in, and we come sh- well then we've botched the spin situation for this series completely. But that's what,
1: a whole I, other conversation about Matt Parkinson that we could have another day. Oh no, <laughs> I, but
3: what is the role of spin in the county championship season? Mm. What, what is it like?
1: Something
2: that's bowled by your number four <laughs> is spin, spin in the county championship for a, a few overs here or there.
3: It's it's a compl- If you look at Leach and, and Leach, to a certain extent, maybe maybe he had a bit of a body of work. Actually, it's maybe unfair, but we're throwing people in and see, hoping it'll come off. Into there is no like Don Best played Test cricket. He had never he'd never been picked as far as I am aware. I think I am right in saying that Don Best had never been picked as a first choice spinner in county cricket before he was picked as a first choice spinner for England because he'd always played in a two with Leach. Now, he's done that this season with Yorkshire best. But that's the level we're at with spin. So Mm. the the game is fundamentally, it looks to me, like the the county championship is preparing people for an international game that doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, it's not as though you can say, I mean, I, I see some who argue that, well, if there was just more county cricket in the middle of the summer... If, there was just, if it wasn't, you know, the, the the cliche, and I think I used it the other day, pushed to the margins of the yeah. season, then everything would be okay. Well, you know, yeah, I'm sure if you play more championship cricket in July and August, you get a chance to play in the, in the, in the heart of the summer, it, it could help with conditions, but that's not everything. I mean, to think that, I mean, you see some people saying, well, if they only televised county cricket and made it a prestige product, I mean, is it a prestige product on television in Australia? I mean, not really. It doesn't mean it's not fit for purpose. It's very much fit for purpose when 200 people show up at the MCG to watch Victoria play. It doesn't diminish the competition. It, it's a cultural thing.
3: Yeah, it's – I suppose it all – maybe is it money? Does the cash that's sw- swashing around the ECB, do they need to be funnelled even more heavily towards prize money for the Red Bull or, or, the, or the, the Red Bull contracts again? Like, I don't know if that's – if, if you have to tell players – through the bank balance, that what's important. I don't know if that's where we get to, but mm. yeah, you need to you need to move the cricket around a little bit and get it better, get the get the, sh- the shape of the season a bit better. But ah, I don't know, it feels like there's lost so much more than that. It feels like it's money. It feels like it's culture. It feels like it's I don't know. We talk about Test cricket being the, the pinnacle in England, but you know, a lot of fans see it that way, and the, and the ticket sales are good. But I don't know. Is, I don't know if it's treated like that product.
2: Coming back to the uh, eighteen counties, you. you can't really pull enough money together to throw at 18 yeah.
3: teams
2: you know it's 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 not something that's going to work
3: it, it needs it needs to be i think uh, i thought there was interesting things in the conference system as well same, same as you adam but I, I think your best route is to be best versus best i think that has to be i think that has to be your best route to, to stealing people up and finding out what kind of backbone mm. they have is and, and and it would be great to see England players more often because when England players go and play county cricket it raises everyone up around them. When Stuart Broad yep. goes to knots, he improves everyone that he's bowling against and he improves everyone that he's bowling with yeah. and it lifts the whole thing up and that's what Australia has. You guys get the you know, the guys play more totally yeah and we and, don't have that
1: and
2: and good players play together you know anyone who makes yeah. runs in the county champs they're usually surviving one good bowler and then the rest of them uh, as this opposed the to the so or four. I mean
3: I there's just no way England play too much cricket I'm sick to death of it and
1: and and the, and, the, and, the, and the humour of this by the way sorry to jump in there is that uh you could I can imagine one recommendation out of the inevitable review that yeah. will be done into this series will be concentrating talent in a fifth competition which will be like a, <laughs> uh, be it be it north south or n- north south East, west, or whatever you want to call it, some, <laughs> uh, you know, some bridging device. I know the Lions serve that role, yeah. but, but I mean the Lions play one tour a year. Well, right? the
3: North versus South was almost that, wasn't it? That, was, that was almost got there.
1: But get what well, for, for two first-class yeah. games in in you know yeah, in yeah. Dubai in March.
3: We, we did just by the way, I don't know if it, it slipped under the radar uh, this, but we did invent a new format already just in Melbourne. It's gonna we're gonna trial it again in Sydney, again in Hobart. It's three-day test cricket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, get back to the 1930s. Uh, yeah, you know that's that's now that, that's it. Hard limit on three days. <laughs> Um, Rory,
2: we're about to do our best and worst of 2021 uh, What what were your best and worst moments in cricket well, in the last year?
3: I, fe- I feel like there should be a, like a, an honourable mention to Joe Root And his batting Because <laughs> it's as good as I've seen He and, and actually framed against the entire conversation we've just had About the shitshow structure The way that this, the deck is stacked Really against people doing what he's just done And he's sitting there up against Viv Richards and Mohammed Youssef's year from heaven, and he's he's batting like a dream. He's got better as an as a long-term England captain mm. in this schedule, which is phenomenal. It's and it's crazy that he's got he's wearing the w- sins of the world on his shoulders, yeah. And he's getting better. It's fantastic. So that's great. But truth be told, the best and the worst thing that happened in cricket this year was the Azim Rafiq racism story because in terms of being the best thing that's happened, we've, you know, finally cricket has grasped a nettle that's been left to grow wild, frankly, for too long. And it's been hard to watch and it's been hard to see cricket on the 10 o'clock news because it isn't usually, that's another mm. problem. Mm. But it's, oh, we got media interest. We got, we got cut through. <laughs> cricket would kill for cut through, right? And we got it this year as a sport, but we got it for the worst reason. Yeah. And it was... A lot of hard truths have come up. Maybe not everything yet, I don't know. But that was terrible. So that's the worst thing that happened is that we we confronted it and saw what had come to pass over a few years. The best thing was it can never happen again. It can't and it's got to get better.
1: Well, let's hope that what comes of that horrible series of revelations is that cricket does get better in England across the board and it contributes to us having to have fewer of these conversations about what's wrong with England into the future and England can be more competitive uh, when they can come to Australia. Uh, Rory, it's great to have you with us across this tour and wonderful to have you having this conversation with us today as well. Cheers, thanks guys. Hi, I'm Isha Gua and
2: you're
3: listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Geoff Levin.
1: Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Thanks again to Rory, who uh, I love touring with Rory, uh, whether it is with the England team or the Australian team or wherever we end up uh, around the world together because he's great company, fabulous journalist and yeah, a deep thinker on the game as well. So uh, hopefully, as we said at the end of the interview, we, we can avoid talking about these matters in the future, but I suspect there's going to be some, some pretty tough conversations had back at ECB Towers over the next six months or so. They're not going to be able to brush out over this one a a win against New Zealand unlikely as it is in the next home summer or when South Africa arrive later in the summer won't be enough for people to forget about what's happened uh, here nor will it be if they win in the windies this is you know Australia shouldn't be the focus of everything in English cricket but you can't just go oh okay we've won at home again all as well this English team should not win in the West Indies no, I wouldn't expect they would. No. I wouldn't expect they would. If Rory Burns has got the highest average of any England debutant since 2014, and he gets him at 31, uh, then yeah, I don't expect they will uh, win against New Zealand or against the West Indies or against South Africa for that matter. But uh, I suppose, um, yeah, the point here really is is that uh, if you're going to use this as a benchmark from you know cycle to cycle, this is the worst of the lot. Mm. So.
2: 2021. It's coming to a close, depending when you listen to this. The things that were the best, the things that were the worst. We're going to go through a few of our favourites and non-favourites. A couple of nominations for me to begin. Okay. worst I don't know if you've come to grips with the novel coronavirus (laughs) COVID-19 but I feel that it's it's put quite a dampener on things once again Uh, basically all of the tours that got cancelled all the things that got postponed the IPL that got called off halfway through just the endless angst and agony and frustration of uh, trying to make things happen or not happen uh, within that context and, and, and the way that it's a reinforced the big three structure has made a comeback that India, Australia and England will make sure to play one another, but yeah. basically don't really care about playing anyone else. And then in the midst of all that, the best thing, one of the best things for me was New Zealand win an ICC final. They win the World Test Championship. Yep. They, they put a little bit of the hurt of 2019 behind them and they stick a big middle finger up to the big players because they made the final and
1: they won it. Yep. Yeah, they uh, they got there because of that quirk in mm. the system where Australia got done due it to overrates, so overrates. Which, uh, which added to how wonderful it was. Not that Australia missed out. Frankly, I would have made a lot more money had Australia made the final, mm. don't get me wrong, but from a crude freelancer perspective. But New Zealand getting through any old how, requiring a stroke of good fortune after being on the wrong end of a a piece of bad fortune, I suppose, in in 2019 in the 50-over World Cup final. Mm. Uh, Good on them. I know they lost the T20, they've decided to Australia to end the year, but they'll remember 2021 for winning that World Test Championship. And Ross Taylor has announced his international retirement today as of the end of this home summer. I think he's got two tests against Bangladesh and a series of white ball games against Australia and the Netherlands, I think it was. And he'll be putting the queue in the rack after that. And, And how fitting it was that it was Taylor and Williamson out there. When they struck the winning runs of that splendid six-day Test match down at Southampton, that became a four-day match. But the virtues of that of that bonus day were there for all to see after a couple were rained out. When they got it done in the final session of day six,
2: the uh, the best on-field thing. Maybe it was Brisbane. Maybe it was it was India's last day in Brisbane uh, at the start of this yeah. year. When, and I think there's a broader. Great story about India's test team specifically this year in that you know, this was when they really took the final step to becoming the team that could play anywhere. They won Asterisk in England, even though there'll be another test played a year later. They beat Australia at home they played the World Test Championship final. Uh, when they played at home, they were dominant as usual. But the way that sort of second tier of players came through, the way Mohamed Siraj started, mm-hmm. the way Navdeep Saini started, Washington Sundar, Shadul Thakur, and then Aksar Patel coming in in India, uh, the depth in the batting, like, it's it's been a glorious evolution. But that that final day in Brisbane with Risho Pant, 89, not out and just... The, the wildness of that run chase it was a beautiful thing to see.
1: Yeah, the, the whole thing on that final day, and you could almost trace it back a week earlier to Sydney, which was in 2021 as well, when it was Ashwin with a with a bad case of shaggers back, could barely get out of bed, uh, and was batting for what into his fourth hour, I think, when uh, when they finally shook hands. Hanuma Vihari with a torn hamstring. It summed up how resilient that that Indian team needed to be after being bowled out for 36 in the first Test match and losing Vrat Kohli, who went back home, under Rahane, who's had a dreadful year, really, made the 100 at Melbourne this time last year, but in 2021, he's averaged 20-something, um, low 20s, I think, actually. But, yeah, that that was emblematic of that side being blessed with so much depth. And, you know, we've had a long conversation about how England have stuffed up their participation potential in the last generation or two, it's the very opposite for India. As Harsha Boghle often will explain, they've, they've looked in every corner of the land to develop talent for the IPL and what they're getting, the, the, the uptick of that, is that they're developing an invincible test team. Mm. So, again, it, I suppose when England reflect on their dreadful year in test cricket, they can probably look at India as much as they can Australia as a way to come out the other end of it as a better team. But, yeah, that day at Brisbane, the, the privilege that we had of being there, not many people went from Melbourne. You mm. and I kind of made the, the the call that we would play a bit of COVID bingo. It paid off. We didn't get stuck in Queensland. But, um, yeah, being on commentary that day and then that podcast we did afterwards and all the various bits and pieces we did after India won the Series 2-1, mm. uh, That that will I'll never forget that day at Brisbane. It was just an absolute classic
2: worst of the year not much worse than the situation in afghanistan the taliban takeover and obviously that's a vastly broader event with broader repercussions than what's happening in cricket but it from this little bit of our world the effect that it's had on on the afghanistan men's team at least was what the biggest good news story in cricket for A long time you know for the last 10 years or so they've been a a a wonderful heartening like you know a literal fairy tale but now it it sort of skews more into the territory of greek myth where you know the, the the greek heroes have their great achievements but they always end up badly they always end up you know in exile or um wandering lost and alone or terrible things happen to their families or whatever it is, the story doesn't end happily and it feels like now this is the Afghanistan cricket team story. There's the, the wonderful rise and now there's this... You know, things are going to get a lot worse before any chance of getting better.
1: Yeah, and I suppose there were some green shoots that this particular Afghanistan team, men's team I'm talking about here, you know, when they were at the World Cup in towards the end of the year in the UAE, that somehow they would defy everything going on around them inside their country and they'd find a way through this. But, yeah, with, with more distance from that story, it does feel pretty grim and of course we haven't even talked about the the prospect of the Afghanistan women's team ever being able to represent their country, noting that that wasn't the case under the previous regime, but the difference there being that they were investing money, it was happening, there was a roadmap of sorts, now that's just on the back burner, it it won't happen, so it's all dreadfully sad and even considering how special it would have been to have had Afghanistan coming to Australia to play a test match I mean, you know, it's impossible to quantify. I suppose that what what that would have done for uh, a generation of young kids in Afghanistan, watching their team turn up and play against Australia mm. in Australia, it would have done wonders for uh, wonders for renewing that group of players in the same way that Ireland have had that experience of having these moments on the big stage not one of them but multiple moments on the big stage and that's done wonders for them in recruiting the next generation and you know you, you have to ask yourself will this be one and out for Afghanistan will in 20 years will they have anything like the renewal that, that other countries have had on the way up I, I, I tend to doubt it
2: and, and as far as we can tell the ICC is still kind of doing nothing about making a decision they're still promoting the uh, twenty twenty World Cup for next year as I mean Afghanistan is supposed to be in it. There's still yeah. on all the promo material. There's no there, there hasn't, as far as I can see, been discussion about, you know, the uh the the ethical decision of whether you let a country run by the Taliban have a team. Mm. You know, something that we've mm. talked about at greater length. So there's there's all of that, um obviously more than we can get into uh at this point. Some other things that have been pretty disappointing uh killing off the one day super league uh the the women's world cup qualifier that got cancelled meaning the thailand team don't mm-hmm. have a chance to play in in the women's super league uh, over the next few years despite having started so well in that qualifier you, you know there are, <laughs> there are there are some some icc things that are pretty unimpressive this year
1: yeah uh, you know people may not care an awful lot about the one day Super League they may not even know what it is but at least it provided some structure and it felt like the tier below was as important as the top tier of 13 teams but um, that's going to be phased out because they're increasing the size of the World Cup that's a positive from this year that there's going to be 14 teams in the Men's World Cup from 20. 27, 27. I think it is. So that's obviously a positive, but on the way through, they they won't have that layer beneath it where they were getting one-day international status, which has been something that's been so important for associate nations who are trying to bridge the gap. You know, and again, you you look at the Olympic Games as probably a positive this year. Of course, the Olympics cricket wasn't there, but the, the probability with Brisbane hosting the Games in 2032, the interest they've got in Los Angeles... Uh, for 2028, it, it feels like we're getting closer and closer to the point where cricket will live there, as it will in the Commonwealth Games with mm. women's T20 cricket as of next year. So, yeah, and and I would say a positive from the end of the year is that Jeff Allardyce is the new chief executive of the ICC. If anyone's going to sort that joint out, uh, and I know that it's a representative body, and people always get on my back about this, and not unreasonably, the ICC is but a body made up of its members. So fundamentally, mm. it, it will still be controlled by the usual suspects, but. If, if ever an executive is going to have the chance to sort that joint out, it's going to be him. So more power to his hand. A few pretty wild on-field things that happened this year. Ajaz Patel taking 10 in an <laughs> innings.
2: Uh, Kyle Mayers making 210 on debut in chattogram Listen, he's
1: braces. Yeah. <laughs> and
2: uh, and Maver Duma with four run outs uh, at the yes. non striker's end in the match for four.
1: Cameroon. man cats in one day. <laughs> day. <laughs> to in the shapes of, of your imagination.
2: imagination. <laughs> uh, three three wonderful things that, I've, honestly, Kyle Mayers seems like about five years ago now, such as this. We were year in the been. pub,
1: weren't we? We were in the pub the doing a play. live YouTube of. The final yeah. session of England-India, probably the yeah. first test of that That's series, the first I reckon, test. Uh, where England actually so won. It was early February. Yeah, amazing. But um, we were tracking Kyle Mayers at the yeah. same time and, and and yes, doing something that, I mean, well, really, that'll, that'll go down as one of, the, one of the great all-time moments on Test Taboo. Yeah, happy days there. I, I skipped over one before, by the way, when we were talking about India for me in terms of stuff I saw. Those two wins in London were Incredible when they beat England. What they were able to achieve on that final day, that eighth wicket partnership uh, with Boomer, Boomerah, uh, Muhammad Shami, and then bowling the England out in 50-odd overs, I think, from mm. memory, and that ball that Boomer bowled to Ollie Robinson and, I mean, the way they were able to just steamroll them in the space of a day. In a test match that England had, in large part, control to that point, that was very special. As it was at the Oval when we were commentating from the press tribunes outside Mm -hmm. and that final day, the fifth day had far more Indian fans in than any other day because they only sold tickets to the fifth day, I think, during the Test match. It was extraordinary. I mean, the noise that place can make, as you know, you've been there, Jeff, at the Oval on days like the, the Champions Trophy final in 2017, for instance. That's that that that's got MCG energy about it when it mm. takes off and it did that day when India ran through England and uh, went 2-1 up in the series. It's just a shame they, they weren't able to finish the job in, in Manchester, I suppose. They'll get that chance next year. But, yeah, the London victories for India uh, were both very special. Sure.
2: One of the worst would be, not that it would have changed the result probably because they still wouldn't have had any batting, but Jofra Archer not being here for the Ashes, missing out on so much cricket this year. Absolutely. The second surgery. I mean, when we watched him at Lords in 2019, I remember you saying, you know, this here's a player who could be a, a, an epoch-defining player for the yep. next 10 years of test cricket and he's barely been
1: able to play any since then. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... Slightly devastating. I mean, he played those test matches in India after coming back from injury. That was the, I think that was the injury where he cut himself, wasn't it? In the bath with a his fish foot tank. or something, fish tank, whatever it Broke was. a and, fish tank. Yeah, then, then got back, second elbow surgery, missed the entire season really at home. I mean, yeah, does he get back at all? well he'll get back he's he's a young enough man to get back will he ever get back to bowling 96 mile an hour will he ever get back to being able to do what he did in 2019 there's a massive question mark over that now and there'll be longer a longer exploration of the jofra archer story uh, and how he was used in his brief time in the england team uh, over time i suppose but it doesn't look great at this particular juncture and that is very sad because yes at his best at the start of his international career he was as good as i've ever seen good stories
2: test cricket happening in pakistan and more yes. test cricket happening in women's cricket. So, you know, India yeah. and England playing tests, India and Australia playing tests in the women's game. So just starting to branch it out from from only the Ashes to only the big three.
1: Yeah, and the Pakistan story is a, is a great one and hopefully one that we can be part of in a couple of months because it felt like... It was going to be yeah a few test series which started a couple of years ago but there was a lot more of them in 2021 and and we thought for a time there when when England and New Zealand pulled out in quick succession and that was bad part of this year of course that we thought Australia were Buckley's chance of going and mm. and they're, and they're going and England are going twice in 2022 so yeah. Sure, to an extent, watch this space. The COVID situation over there, as I understand, isn't too crash hot. There might be pause there given um, what's happening at the moment with Omicron. But nonetheless, um, watching those test matches from Pakistan, a lot of them are on YouTube over here, weren't they? Because no one wanted the rights because um, Pakistan aren't as uh, a lucrative a buy as it is when, when mm. it's India. And yeah, it was a, a true joy. Uh, seeing a lot there, and as for women's test cricket, yeah, how good is it that we've had two women's tests so far in 2021? There'll be one in early 2022, Jeff, that you'll be at at Manuka during the Women's Ashes. But I genuinely believe that conversation's moved on. I mean, we've been banging away, as have a lot of people, for a long time about women needing a, a an opportunity to play more red ball cricket. I, I reckon um, three in quick succession, other countries seeing that, wanting to be part of that. It's not going to happen overnight, uh, but I reckon if you press fast for 10 years uh, we will have test cricket being played between a number of women's nations and we will have some domestic structure sitting underneath it which is essential one needs to follow the other. Rachel Hunter it won't happen overnight. But it will happen. But it will happen. Uh, I knew as soon as you started smiling, that was what you were going to say. Of
2: course, you have to. Right, what else? My, my last worst thing was that, that dipshit in England who kept running onto the ground oh. um, dressed in an India shirt, which, you know, seemed faintly amusing the first time, but by the time you've done it three games in a row, getting increasingly more dickheaded at each attempt. And also, like, just put your pads on properly. Right? Like, just learn how to bowl if you're going to come in and pretend to bowl. Don't be so shit at cricket. And try to be a person who's being out there at cricket and then it turns out that he's some wanker YouTuber who's just trying to do controversial stuff to get attention and then he gets like uh, a a shoulder rub from every dickhead social media intern who wants to put him up with crying laughing emojis and being like he's at it again I don't encourage him
1: Yeah, I reckon there have been more pitch invasions this year than like at any time that I've been doing this for a job and I reckon he was part of that so he can fuck off and anyone else who thinks that it's a good idea to try and have their two minutes of fame by running on. Can fuck off as well. Other negative stuff uh, I've got yeah.
2: here. The, there are certain times you run it. Hundredth goal, you run on. No dramas. <laughs> I watched. I watched. I watched
1: Buddy's hundredth goal with Winnie today from two thousand and eight. <laughs> I, I, I watched that with her this morning, and she enjoyed it a lot. But I mean, that, 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 that's a bit. That's a bit different. Um, England at Edgbaston against New Zealand. I've got that as a negative, but also kind of a positive because I'll tell you what, that NASA video afterwards was. to the NASA explaining why England can't bat that went, I mean, I think it was viewed by like a million, no, 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 not a million, many, many millions of people with him just off the long run. I mean, Mm. there's no one, there is no one better at being angry and and articulating (laughs) his anger um, than And There was that, I got something here, I got got two day test matches. There was that, that dreadful test match at Ahmedabad that we were so excited about, pink ball test match and all the rest. And it was over in the final session of the second day and we were like, oh this is not good, this is not how it's meant to be. I suppose no. we've just got at, at the back of a, a two-and-a-bit day test match and we've got a similar yep. emotion at the moment. Other positives I've got here on the way through the final day of the county season, or the final couple of days, yep. the game that finished in the final over up at Liverpool was a, a belter, which set up the perfect final day in a way because Edgbaston was chock-a-block with uh, Warwickshire needing to uh, make quick runs to Clare and bowl out Somerset. And they did all of those things perfectly uh, and they won the championship as a result. So that was super exciting, capped a domestic season in England, uh, and from the domestic game in England, getting a chance for the first time at Test level was Sophia Dunkley, who who I've been following very closely since she was a 16-year-old playing at Middlesex, and seeing her not only play white-ball cricket for England, but that 70 odd on debut against England at Bristol, mm-hmm. uh, and being the the second black woman to represent England after Ebony, uh, it, yeah, it was uh, it was a special week. My last uh, great
2: moment for for 2021, on a not a personal note for me, but for you, was playing playing in the media game at, uh, at, at the Albert Ground when Adam Collins at Long On took a catch <laughs> off his childhood hero Dermot Brereton uh, and had to sort of go up for it, a bit of a juggle, wasn't sure if he would hang on he did cling on, uh, it, was, it was quite a high ball down the ground and I that meant more to you than you would care to admit. It,
1: it was it, it was for me a great moment because it actually was it stuck beautifully with one arm in the air after I misjudged it and charged it in off the rope, had to spool backwards, 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 right on the rope, put both hands up and it just stuck. And the fact that we talked Dermy into bowling the final over with about 20 runs to play with and the first ball ended up on Queen's Road, thought, you know, had, had I dropped that and it gone for six, this, this guy's probably going probably gonna to win the game. But no, not to be. It was lovely. And remember, Dermy did make a cameo on the pod when he was, uh, oh yes, when he after we had a few beers and we'd be recording and Dermie walked past and spoke about it, which was kind of cool. So yeah, that, that again, things I'm not going to forget in a hurry. Um,
2: <laughs> court Collins Bolt Burton. There we go. Uh, I think it's the name of the podcast episode that day. <laughs> that is the end of 2021. We did it, everybody. We got through it. Another shit house year. <laughs> with some high points. <laughs> uh, there were some good things that happened. There were some nice things that happened. I suppose even when bad things are happening in in the in the general uh, fabric of everyday life, you can't only concentrate on that because there are many, many, I would say, the vast majority of human lives have happened during uh, periods where things are not great in general, but all that you can do is enjoy the things that are great in the specific. That is That is the human experience is finding the reasons that it's worth living even when there are other bits that make it seem So
1: Yeah, that's it, isn't it? And this was summed up on Christmas Eve, actually. I was in a pub with my dad in Birrigarra and Rach and a fellow called Henry came up just out of nowhere. He recognised me and wanted to talk about the cricket. But what he really wanted to talk about was what... Yeah, what this this podcast and other podcasts that we've made, but specifically this, had done for him uh, during COVID, uh, sitting on a wood splitter, as he said, and I suppose that solitude of, of COVID and how challenging it was for so many people, and the intimacy that a podcast brings. And I understand that as a podcast listener, consumer for other shows, mm-hmm. I feel quite connected to the rhythms of the, those shows, and I know that people feel that way about the Final Word too, and that's special. And that community we've got on on the Patreon page and through Discord, and beyond that too. I'm not saying that only people who who contribute to our show financially, and thus play around with us on Discord. A part of it—it's far, far broader than that. And yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the, the responsibility that comes with that, uh, which is why we work so hard on this show, and why we'll continue to work hard on this show. Because you know, the people that listen to it and, and make it part of their life—we we owe it to you to keep putting in uh, and hopefully keep giving you something that, that's of value a couple of times a week.
2: And I had a chat with. Uh, someone at our Adelaide show whose name I won't give out because I'm uh, b- discussing personal things but he he'd been in, os- in, in hospital young fella who'd been in hospital with having a, after an eye operation and was not sure if he would regain his sight and and has done but he said having the podcast to listen to when he couldn't see was something that he found calming and, and soothing to sort of have some some company in there when when he was very afraid about how things might go. And so, I don't know, I hear something like that and it's it's incredibly moving to be part of someone's life at that time. So, um, we're very grateful for your company. Yeah,
1: and there. absolutely. And sort of not overindulging on this, but, you know, like the final word game, probably should have mentioned this in, in the positives and you're going to have another one in a couple of weeks in Sydney, but people who have never met in the flesh before who Come together because of a podcast they all listen to, and I would suggest a number of those people who were there that night will remain friends for years and years and years, and to be. In the middle of that, through what we do when we hit record each week, uh, yeah, that, that is that is incredibly gratifying. And and we love the feedback. We love the people that, who come up to us or talk to us on social media or whatever it is and, and want to talk about the show. It's not like we're sort of aloof and, and you know, we, we, we feel it, we get it because we're part of it. We are but two other cricket fans i think that's exactly the case so
2: as you go into 2022 try to be kind to other people and be kind to yourself because they're about the only useful things you can do in this world it's the final word i'm jeff lemon you're Adam Collins. Uh, this show is on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. Lots of other shows there. Dave Collins is our editor and has been all through the year. Love God you DC. Bless you, DC. I mean,
1: to think of the... the I, I can't the tell untold you... hours. I can't tell you how many files that DC has been given to him by us that are all over the place. And he's... he. I mean, uh, it, it always sounds so much better in the final product <laughs> due to the tender love and care that, that he provides that. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to Brick Lane
2: for being huge backers of the show through the second half of this year. Uh, thanks especially to everyone on the Patreon. We literally could not do this without you. Uh, you you are the final word. You make it happen. We're going to saddle up again in about three days' time and <laughs> start for 2022. Can't stop, won't stop. It's the final
1: word. Happy New Year. I had to go about
0: it right Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at FinalWordCricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. FinalWordCricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks, once again, to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at BrickLaneBrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.